Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. Around the world, the month of June was Pride Month, and even though today is the 1st of July and we're a day late to the party, I thought we'd devote this entire episode to talking about the fight for same sex marriage in Japan. It is, after all, the only country in the G7 not to offer any form of legal recognition to same sex couples, despite a 2018 survey showing that almost 80% of 20 to 59 year olds in Japan were in favour of same sex marriage. So, my guest for this episode is Alexander Dimitrenko, a self described Ukrainian blooded Canadian whose day job is head of Asia sanctions at the law firm Freshfields here in Tokyo. But Alexander wears many other hats and today joins us in his role as the co representative director of the Lawyers for LGBT and Allies Network, better known as LAN. In this episode, we'll be discussing the case for same sex marriage that's being made by his organization, as well as the many others out there who are also fighting for equality on the issue. Before we get stuck into the episode, though, I want to ask that if you're enjoying Deep Dive, you take a moment to rate and review the show on whichever podcasting platform you use. And if you want to be notified every time a new episode comes out, that you subscribe to the podcast and our mailing list. A link can be found in the episode notes. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Here's Alexander Dimitrenko. Alexander Dimitrenko, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I think what would be useful both for, for myself and our listeners is just for you to lay out the current status of Japan's、uh, marriage law. Thank you. Well, the current marriage law as it stands only allows、uh, people of different sexes to marry. The law doesn't allow people of the same sex to enter into legally binding marriage relationship. So that's the law. As you probably know, and I hope you know, 29 countries around the world. Have adopted equal marriage rights、mm-hmm. for gay and lesbian couples to be eligible for the same benefits and responsibilities as married couples of different gender. And,、um, you know, in particular, if you, if you think of the countries that are close, maybe a little bit culturally, like Taiwan, it's now been over a year that marriage does exist in Taiwan. And you know, many couples have taken advantage of being、uh, in this wonderful you know, institution of marriage.、Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Japan is on its way, but not there yet. <laughs> and it stands as, at the moment as the only member of the G7 who actually doesn't permit same sex marriage. Well, with a caveat, I mean, Italy has same sex partnerships. So, yes,、uh, out of G- G7, Japan is the only one without any marriage, any relationship recognition, and to be honest, or any rights on the federal level of any sorts for LGBT couples. Yeah, which is it's an interesting position to be in because you do think Japan, of, Japan has been very advanced in many different ways, but when it comes to the issue of same sex marriage, it is behind some of its developed country counterparts. So, you know, there have been movements towards same sex marriage, and in June of 2019, I believe it was, some of the opposition parties to the LDP, the Constitutional Democratic Party, the Japanese Communist Party, they got together to submit a bill to the lower house of the Diet. What, what happened to that bill? Well, the answer is very simple. I mean, the, the opposition parties do not have, unfortunately, the weight to pass through,、uh, even in the initial stage,、uh, that type of legislation. I don't think it was even on the agenda properly discussed.、Um, having said that, We work with LDP members who also you know, want to learn about this issue,、uh, both from the Japanese perspective but also foreign perspective. You mentioned how Japan is perceived to be a member of this Western club, in a sense, in, including culturally and economically, etc. You do 
see people being a bit shocked when they come here and they they think of Japan being extremely advanced, you know, modernized and Shinkansen and, you know, you know Roboto and all these things. <laughs> and yet, uh, when people think uh, of, you know, equality for women and for LGBT couples and individuals, Japan seems behind. And in particular, countries, you know, European countries and maybe Canada, uh, where equal marriage has been around for 20 years. You know, this is there's two generations that grew up with equal marriage not being a question anymore. Mm. When people come here, they find it very strange that Japan is a little bit stuck in time. Which is interesting as well, because I, I think especially when you come here as a tourist, certainly I remember when I, I first visited Japan and, and left, you do get the impression that Japan is very tolerant. Well, it's good to hear from you because those of you who haven't seen you, you know, you're blonde with blue <laughs> yeah. eyes, which yeah. for some Japanese is like the sign of devil. And I had a, <laughs> I had a colleague at the time who was also blonde and blue-eyed. He was teased by some Japanese kids. Um, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, look, there is no this. Um, some of the data we've seen recently came out. You know, again, showing quite a strong support for marriage equality among the younger generation. Mm -hmm. So I think Danso last year did a study where they looked at um, people up to age of 60, and I think almost 80% said they support or somewhat support marriage equality, even though I think almost 30% said they still need to learn more about LGBT. But as a principle, Mm. they understand this is, you know, this is, this is, there is a need for equality. The government did a study, which was amazing, of married women who, as you can imagine, appreciate the most the benefits of being in the marriage, uh, legally speaking and otherwise, the protections that marriage brings. Mm. Married women, again, overwhelmingly in Japan support marriage equality for lesbian and gay couples. I'm glad you brought up that Dentsu survey um, because, yeah, it was 2018, so pretty recent. 80% of people were somewhat in favour or very in favour of um, same-sex marriage below the age of 60, which is a huge number. So considering the public seems so in support for it, how is the LDP, as the ruling party right now, justifying that they're not going to debate um, the opposition's bill when it comes to introducing same-sex marriage? Look, I'm not going to criticize LDP because I have LDP friend members. Uh, and uh, and I, as I mentioned earlier, we do work with LDP members who are, who A, who want to learn and understand the issues. And i give another example. We annually, my organization hosts a big gala, mm-hmm. equality gala event. And annually we had three to four LDP members who come and speak you know, they speak on personal behalf, but also they are party members. I think LDP is representative maybe of how Japanese society is structured. You know, you have quite senior members of the society who might not be as flexible, who might not have learned and understood about, you know, LGBT couples and, and community. Those who have, people will appreciate that there is an equality that's missing. Mm-hmm. And people do deserve, you know, equal treatment. Um, and be part of the society fully and not being excluded from key institutions like marriage. I know that one of the reasons that the LDP has offered to justify not debating equal marriage legislation is the existence of Article 24 of the Constitution, which is the article that relates specifically to marriage and says marriage shall be based only on the mutual consent of both sexes and it shall be maintained through mutual cooperation with the equal rights of husband and wife as basis. So I wonder what you think of the LDP's interpretation of that part of the constitution and how it fits into this wider argument for or against same-sex marriage in Japan? Uh, It's a great question. And again, you're right. I mean, this article has been cited uh, as a reason for 
denying equal marriage rights to uh, lesbian and gay couples. If you look at the wording, and as a lawyer, we need to look at the wording very carefully. Uh, it says marriage shall be based only on the mutual consent of both sexes and shall be maintained through mutual cooperation with equal rights of husband and wife as a basis. The mutual consent is the key point of this article. Historically, it was put in place to protect women who, uh, at the time the Constitution was passed, might not have had the consent or ability to consent when they were entering into marriage. The Constitution, uh, which was drafted by allegedly some Americans, wanted to bring women's rights up to speed, and this was the language chosen. Critically, if you think, you know, again, the interpretation that, that, that you know, you look at this and say, oh, well, it says husband, wife, two sexes, etc. Well, again, A, it requires equality. Mm-hmm. The Constitution is based on the principle in Article 14 that says everyone should be equal before the law. And that's fundamental. Article 24 doesn't say, well, to the exclusion of others, we, 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 we will only permit marriages of a man and a woman, mm-hmm. which, for instance, like Russian constitutions are going to be changed soon to say that. Mm-hmm. And some of the uh, U.S. states have gone through this uh, process. If I may add, you know, we, we worked closely with the Japanese Federation of Bar Associations. The JFBA was considering a petition to seek the determination by the, by the JFBA, kind of the, the highest authority on law among mm-hmm. lawyers, to say that the denial of marriage equality to lesbian and gay couples is unconstitutional. Well, it took four years almost for the JFBA to issue its opinion, and and the answer by the JFBA literally said that. Critically, Article 14 requires equality, and critically, Article 24 doesn't prevent lesbian and gay couples from marrying. Mm. When you put two and two together, the JFBA said, we recommend the government of Japan to endorse and extend marriage rights to lesbian and gay couples to ensure the constitutional value of equality is preserved. Very interesting. I want to explore the tensions that exist between the local and the national level on the issue because there are now 47 municipalities and two prefectures that offer some form of same-sex partnership certificate. And the idea behind these rights is that these certificates are supposed to confer some of the same protections that are afforded to married couples in the case of things like hospital visits and applying for public housing, things like that. Yes. I mean, look, the, the 49 municipalities and two prefectures are uh, phenomenal because I think five years ago we only had Shibuya and Sedegaya at the beginning. Yeah, I think um, that was November 2015 when they... They, they launched their first partnership. Yeah, so it's, it's still not even five years, right? So um, look, uh, this is a phenomenal, and you're right, it, it, optically it's an important acknowledgement. If your listeners remember anything from this conversation is that um, none of these partnership certificates come close to marriage equality. The whole plethora of rights that, that, that are triggered by marriage certificate under the law is not nearly replicated by these partnership certificates. They're wonderful to have. I think people uh, may wish to enter into them for 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 own reasons. And again, there, there are some now companies who actually, um, when you bring the certificate of this nature, for internal purposes, they will um, ensure that you get the equal benefits. Mm. But when you look at the big picture, Japan does not have marriage law. So when people tell me, well, can't you marry in Shibuya? No. 
you cannot marry in Shibuya. Mm. You know, it's mm. very it's very different. And you're right. There is, there, you know, I don't think we'll have plenty of time to go through all of the legal uh, ramifications. Yeah. But I do want to, to to reiterate this very strongly that the marriage right uh, sits with the um, uh, with the federal government here and. Practically ninety percent of the rights that are triggered by marriage that that are still missing, mm. which is something that's being challenged by a number of people in a big court case that's going on at the moment and has been going on since February 2019, when 13 couples filed lawsuits at several courts, uh, district courts in Tokyo, Osaka, and in Western Japan, as well as Sapporo in the north. Could you tell me a bit about their case and um, uh, and how that's proceeding at the moment? It's a great question. Indeed, uh, last year on Valentine's Day, uh, couples across oh, I'd Japan... That. I'd missed that significance, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's very significant yeah. because ultimately, look, it's all about love. I think the difference between the gay couples and straight couples is whom you fall in love with. Mm. You know, you can't control your heart, to be honest. And the denial of marriage is denial of this um, key nature of who you are. The couples who have uh, begun lawsuits, there are 13 couples and they all work with Marriage for All Japan campaign. Uh, it's a team initially of lawyers, uh, Japanese Bengoshi lawyers, who uh, have you know, found uh, couples and who work carefully to advance this, this argument that you know, the denial of marriage should be unconstitutional. Uh, we hope to, to get some good news, um, likely in Sapporo, which was one of the actually first uh, cities in Japan to um, issue uh, certificates of uh, partnership certificates to lesbian and gay couples, hopefully next year. Mm. I, I, we don't know if, if the lawsuit will resolve the issue. I think, to be to be entirely frank with you and and, and the audience, it, the decision will have to be made on the in, in Nagatacho, very close to here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, so, but but it does help. Like when we talk about municipalities, that all the building block. You know, they're stepping stones mm-hmm. towards the marriage equality. As you know, Japan very well, nothing happens quickly here. Only Shinkansen. You know, <laughs> you know, we, we need, you know, I think Japan is beautiful because you need to get consensus, right? And the consensus is built by those building blocks. Mm. Uh, this is quite a big legal case. Obviously, you've got 13 couples across several different courts. So it, it will be very significant if the judges rule in their favor in, in those cases. But how are they making their arguments in front of the judges for... You know, well, A, what are they seeking, and, and B, how are they making their arguments? Well, I don't want to bore you, you guys, with legalities. Okay, guys, surface level. Well, surface level, it's 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 an interesting concept. You know, if people who have understanding of how, you know, court cases proceeded in Canada or U.S., there's a direct challenge to, uh, you know, inability to marry. Here, uh, it's the, it's the damages case. Basically, couples seeking symbolic amount of damages from the courts, and the hope here that the courts will look at this carefully and say, "Look, these couples are indeed denied equality, and they deserve damages because denial of equality is unconstitutional." So it's not a case per se to challenge the constitution, because again, we believe constitutional just say mm. says that the equality has to be given and ensured, and Article Twenty Four does not prevent it. So there's no challenge to that. Uh, but there is challenge to how constitution is interpreted, and that's what what what, what this case is seeking. So you say it's a symbolic amount of damages. So really, the purpose of these cases is a recognition as being equal under the law. And if they get that recognition, it will create another of these building blocks in the case for same-sex marriage. 
That's right. I mean, you're not going to retire on the amount of money, <laughs> even if you win. Uh, I mean, you know, Japan is not like US where you, US where you can have you know, a lot of money and, and probably retire in the Bahamas. Here, here, you know, I think again, the, the, the optics of it is very important. The, the judges will have to approach this very carefully because, as you also would appreciate, Japanese judicial system is fairly different to the um, you know, legislature. Uh, again, in this case, having seen already the legal society generally clearly stating that equal marriage is constitutional and denial of it is unconstitutional. Mm. So, so that's the hope that the court will agree with that and will put it in writing. Mm. And there have been other small cases in the courts at the moment which have tacitly acknowledged same-sex marriage. There was an adultery case, I believe, between a lesbian couple where the judge ruled and basically applied the rights you would have under marriage. You know, this is, um, I'm not a proponent of adultery, but, <laughs> but, but this, this, this Japanese concept uh, under law that um, adultery can trigger damages. In a typical circumstance, it protects women where husbands uh, engage into extramarital activities or maybe leave uh, the wife who might not have other means of income. But in this case, actually in Japan, it's not only that the adulterer husband typically would, would be responsible for those damages, but also the woman who who broke the marriage or stole the husband, she might also be legally liable for some damages. That definitely doesn't exist in any other mm-hmm. jurisdiction. Um, very interesting concept. So, look, um, in, 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 in the case of two lesbians uh, who were married, I believe, in the U.S., and they came back to Japan Obviously, their marriage certificate in the U.S., it's another point I wanted to mention here. E- even if Japanese couples or foreign couples were married elsewhere under the laws of that jurisdiction, now there's 29 countries that allow marriage, uh, Japan would not recognize it. Mm. This couple, however, uh, came back with a marriage certificate, uh, and unfortunately, one of, you know, uh, a couple, she, she had an adultery, uh, and the other woman sought uh, damages under the same concept that only currently applies to married couples. And the judge said, yeah, for all intents and purposes, the core point of this protection is to protect the party that suffered. It, it critically said that this relationship is very important and, and should be recognized similarly under the concept of law. And again, we talk about building blocks. This is one of those building blocks where you say, okay, well, denial of marriage so what happens if you don't have marriage? Well, here's an example. You know, why wouldn't be gay and lesbian couple not have the same protection here? And the judge says, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Um, and, you know, look, uh, again, not proponing adultery, but those cases have, have you know, in, in the States, uh, in Canada and other places, you would have seen cases that really moved the discussion were cases where one partner passed away. Mm. And there were, you know, denial of uh, death benefits, insurance benefits, yes. visitation rights. Those were typically circumstances where you need that relationship to be recognized. You mm. know, in Corona situation now, you might not be able to visit your partner. You know, let alone if your person, if your partner passes away, and you live in the same household, you will be thrown out of the house. Basically, you have no rights and recognitions, and it's difficult to replicate it else, uh, otherwise in the law. Again, I'm very glad you brought up the issue of corona because that is something I did want to use to highlight the difficulties that might be faced by a couple who are in 
a same-sex relationship but aren't recognized as a same-sex marriage because my colleague Andrew McCurdy actually just put out a very excellent piece looking at exactly some of these topics and you know was finding people who were very worried that if they go into hospital right now and they've lived with their partner and you know to all intent and purpose are in a the same relationship as a married couple would be or a legally recognized married couple would be and they're very worried that if they go to the hospital with coronavirus their partner is not going to be allowed to visit them and to look after them and to support them through this despite them being the closest family perhaps even closer than their you know next of kin it's a very tragic consequence of this lack of recognition that someone would be forced into that position and feel that way look agreed i think it's a uh Corona, you know, expedites this really because you do have uh, situations where, uh, you know, partners will not be allowed uh, into hospitals, uh, and if there's a death, they might not be allowed to stay in the same household, even if it's owned, typically owned by one of the persons. Just think about losing your loved one or being not being even able to see your loved one at a time when they need you the most, and it's only because the law says, well, you know, we don't think these people are equal. It's really tragic, as you said, and I agree with that. The, there was an un, another interesting concept that came out of corona is the tracing. Mm. Um, in South Korea, there, you know, about maybe a month ago, there were all this news about uh, nightclubs, including gay clubs, that, be, that, that were the cluster of uh, corona you know, infections when South Korea almost had zero infections at, at a time. And the issue was being able to trace people because most people are not out. Mm, mm. I mean, we actually worked with a few other organizations to really uh, ask the media and the government of Japan to be very mindful of this issue for Japanese society. I think that if you look at the total number that people who are actually out is about 20%. So the 80% of people are not out. Mm. You don't want to be out because of corona. I mean, that's, again, double whammy. You know, you, you get corona or you get exposed to corona and then you out it, which is why all these issues also, they, they, they become compounded. And unfortunately, a gay and lesbian community is also one of those communities that, that faces, um, you know, suicide issues. I work, uh, I'm also a, mem- a board member of TEL, the uh, Tokyo English Language uh, Lifeline, where we see that up to a quarter of callers, um, they face this double issue where there's something else going on in their lives. Maybe they're half you know, mm-hmm. half Japanese, half something else, and then they're gay and lesbian. And it's sometimes just too much, you know. And that's why, you know, the marriage recognition when it was passed in the U.S., and I think U.S., Canada, and Sweden did the study. And I, I do want to, again, quote, quote this because they, they've seen that suicide drop particularly among the LGBT teens, have been significant for for those countries to see that there's actual benefit, mm. not only for those people who get married and, and, and they get recognition, but the, but the community generally does have a phenomenal benefit. Yeah, coronavirus has done a fantastic job at exposing weaknesses in the system, I think, across the board. And it's clear that the lack of this recognition, to me at least, feels like a very big weakness in Japan's current legal system. I want to quiz you about your work with Lawyers for LGBT and Allies Network and also the ACCJ because you've worked with both of those organisations to really promote same-sex marriage and provide also an international voice 
to that as well and also a business case so the floor is yours to uh, <laughs> to explain some of the work that you've been doing thank you well i hope your 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 listeners are still with us um, <laughs> because this is really the um f- probably the most fascinating element of this marriage campaign is the voice of corporates um to to indicate that they that they believe for their employees internally but and japan uh, externally is important to have this marriage equality. Unfortunately, we've seen studies and, and, and surveys showing only 10% of Japanese companies that have addressed LGBT issues. Mm. 10%. Mm. Um, and that's very largely skewed towards big corporates mm, as well. Exactly. The big names have literally, those who have international um uh, operations, uh, they, they indeed, they, they, you know, and also, I mean, larger HR departments, typically HR team uh, is leading those processes. The business case for marriage is not only for internal purposes, which is very important, but also to, to really help Japan to appreciate that there is a, actually a war for talent. We've seen, you know, and it's it's been recorded that, that a lot of Japanese, lesbian, gay, and transgender people who probably have good qualifications and bilingual, trilingual they tend to leave hmm. because they can't be fully in a relationship here. Um, another problem is being able to bring talent here. You know, you can't necessarily um, have visas. You know, your partner has to be on a student visa. What if your senior executive and your partner, you know, is not young? And I've seen these couples where people, well, I don't want to be in the class with, with 20-year-olds, mm. go into language classes just because you need the visa to stay in Japan. Which comes back to your earlier point that marriage certificates that are recognized overseas and not recognized exactly. in Japan. So when you're applying to a visa, you can't get the necessary spousal visa. That's right. And by contrast, uh, Hong Kong has that. Mm. So as of last year, Hong Kong has that ability. To, and through again, through courts, now the immigration authority will have to issue visas because the courts say, look, the Hong Kong authority is not in a position to, 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 to say who's married, who's not. If the home jurisdiction issues a marriage certificate, your job is to issue the visa to the couple mm. and not to say who is here, who's who's married, who's not. So look, if we especially want to be able to have Japan be successful uh, internationally, to be progressive and to bring talent, to keep talent, we, we, we need those changes. There is another element, I think it's often forgotten. We, we think of LGBT, you know, let's say it's about 10% of population are LGBT. Well, there are many more allies. You know, in Canada, which is my home country, you know, the study has shown and the recent polling showed that people in Canada, 80% deem it uh, as a pride that LGBT citizens in Canada have equal protections. So I know, I know some Canadians and, and people from other countries who are not LGBT, but they don't really want to work in the environment where you have lacking protections mm. and this you know a bit of a backward approach to lgbt and they don't really want to come to japan unfortunately and so you brought all these opinions together through a statement with the american chambers of commerce japan yes we worked with the accj uh to really address this issue because uh in the fight for marriage equality in the u.s 360 corporates uh put an amicus brief before the supreme court to state the business case for marriage equality. So the in, in at our gala almost two years ago, 
the ACCJ, along with five other chambers, um, issued a viewpoint on marriage equality, again, identifying key elements why marriage equality is important, stating business case for marriage, and critically uh, asking the government of Japan to extend marriage rights to gays and lesbian couples. And how many companies came out in support of that statement? Well, 88 as of today. So I think we're going we're gonna to break 100 uh, when we get to uh, uh, the anniversary of uh, Viewpoint in September. And anyone who's listening now and whose company is not joined, I would uh, strongly recommend you to, to come forward. And if you look at the logos, uh, uh, and it's, um, uh, you know, our website is landjapan.org. Uh, if you look at the logos, it's all household names. We really wanted to bring in the big big names into this picture, uh, including Japanese names like Lixil, Panasonic, SoftBank, uh, Marui. I mean, many, uh, many law firms. I mean, over 12, I think, financial institutions. It's been phenomenal support, to be honest. When the companies make it very clear, you know, we're not engaging in legal discussions, but we really want the equality because it's actually it's important for Japan and for us. Uh, we hope that, that that's something that will add on to the voices and, and cases and will make the equality a bit more a bit faster. I realize we're running short on time, so I want to wrap up with potentially a, a tricky question because when I was researching you and researching this topic for the podcast, I stumbled across an interview you did um, with Timothy Langley back in October 2017, where again, you painted a very hopeful picture for same-sex marriage and that you'd like to see it come in before the 2020 Tokyo Olympics. The Olympics obviously have been delayed. There's going to be the 2021 Olympics. So that benchmark moves a bit further down the line. But yeah, you, you were very optimistic then. We seem to have all these building blocks, whether it's the local municipalities, whether it's the corporate support that your organisation has, whether it's these uh, court cases which are slowly adding to the kind of legal precedent for the support of same-sex marriage and the bar associations coming out in support of it as well. So considering all this, like, well, what do you think are the main barriers at this point to making same-sex marriage legally recognised? I'm still very optimistic. <laughs> um, I think, like Nelson Mandela said, you know, love will trump hate um, and will prevail. I think love is love and people, you know, we, we, we will have equal marriage in Japan, um, hopefully sooner rather than later. Having said that, I don't want it to be rushed. I'd rather make sure everyone understands why this is important and that it's not taking away from anyone else's rights. If, if you know, it's not like equality is not a pie. Mm. If if LGBT couples have equal marriage, it doesn't take away from straight couples having marriage rights. Uh, in terms of the outlook, look, this has been a very, very strange and unprecedented year. So to answer your question, why, um, you know, what, what are the impediments? I just think we, we're dealing with such phenomenal circumstances where the focus is on uh, dealing with corona, obviously. We're also living in, in the kind of very strange situation where U.S. and China uh, are currently in a trade war and potentially a cold war. So if you think about the bigger picture, there's, this, there's really, I would say, more emergent, more urgent issues to be addressed. Having said that, I think that, as we discussed earlier, they will help with, the, with moving the process forward. Um, and appreciating that at times like this, having the family unit that is actually recognized and supported by law, um, that the insurance that you're equal, that if anything happens, you'll be okay. Um, that is so important. And 
we'll, we'll probably will hear cases where it wasn't okay and wouldn't be okay, unfortunately. And those cases will help again to move the process forward. So, look, I don't know if it's going to be next year or year after. The building blocks that you see, if you and I meet in a year from now, all these numbers will increase in favor and in support of marriage equality. Will we have the law? I don't know. I think there are important LDP members who um, have their hearts open and who will make sure that this process of equality reaches everyone else internally. I think it would be a wonderful day in Japan where equality prevails and, uh, you know, Corona is outed uh, <laughs> and we, we host the Olympics. You know, I, I think we have to be optimists, in this, in the, especially in this day and age. So I do hope um, we will see uh, marriage equality soon um, and maybe sooner than the Olympics. So thank you. It sounds like you're uh, teasing a podcast for a year's time. <laughs> we'll have to I'll meet up again to, then. <laughs> I'll be happy to be back. Thank you so much. Well, Alexander Dimitrenko, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for hosting again. Thank you. You've been listening to Deep Dive and our guest this week was Alexander Dimitrenko. My thanks again to him for joining us. As I mentioned earlier, my colleague Andrew McCurdy has just published a terrific article exploring many of the issues that we discussed in today's episode. I do recommend you read that and a link to that article will be in the episode notes. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks as always for listening and we'll be back next week. But until then, Podskari Summer.